0: We've just sung how, uh, when we think of the cross, it demands our life and our all. And I think as we come to this uh, next part of the Lord's Prayer, we need to bear uh, that in mind too. I said last week that if you were uh, sitting comfortably uh, by the end, you wouldn't be. Uh, however, I found, um, I don't know whether I gave a false Uh, Pretense uh, there, or something like that, because we didn't quite finish the message, we only got halfway through. And I don't know about you, but when we finished, I was just amazed at the love of God. And we had a great time of worship last Sunday uh, from the morning when we looked at the extraordinary kindness of God, which was rejected, but which we know by God's grace we have accepted. And then we looked at the extent of our debt and how God has forgiven us. How can we not but praise God? And I think it was good that we finished when we did. But if you are sitting comfortably tonight, I assure you by the end of tonight you will not be comfortable. And I'm uncomfortable as I look at this part of the Lord's Prayer as we forgive our debtors. It's difficult and it's, it's hard core Christianity. This is, this is tough. And I come, I hadn't planned on saying this, but uh, me and Paula were up uh, really late last night talking to uh, my father-in-law, and he's struggling with this um, really very much. Uh, he's, two of his daughters have suffered abuse, bad abuse by their ex-husbands, and it's tough. This is hard. And as I was preparing this, I was also looking through the prayer diary. And I know there is many situations here where I know that speaking this is not easy and it's not light and it's, it's difficult. I know that. But nevertheless, this is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus commands of us, expects of us. And this is what we must do. So let's look together sensitively and in, and and with, um, just with receptive hearts to what the Lord is telling us, I know this is hard, and I'm, I say that at the beginning because I struggle with this. This isn't easy. So we began last week by the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew chapter six and verse twelve, where it says, "Forgive us our debts." And we began by looking at the extent that God has forgiven us. And that's why Matthew chapter 18 was so helpful for us. Matthew 18 is where we're going to spend uh, a lot of our time, uh, so keep your hand in Matthew 18. Uh, in fact, I would say stay there rather than Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 18, and the parable of the unmerciful servant is so helpful because it explains to us the, the size of the debt that we have to God, and it was, we we looked at an unpayable debt, it was huge. 200,000 years wages was the debt, and he was forgiven of that debt, he was forgiven of the debt, and we saw how our debt to God, which is another way of describing sin, is huge as well, but God has forgiven us, he has mercy upon us, and when we pray, forgive us our debts, our God forgives our sins. And we ended last week by looking at the woman who showed overwhelming devotion to Jesus by pouring expensive perfume on his head and washing his feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. And she was looked at because she was a sinful woman and and the Pharisees were saying to Jesus, well, how can you let this woman do this? And Jesus explained, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love shows. Whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And one of the ways we show devotion to God and love for others is by doing the second part of this petition. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. As we think about the debt, we, we talked last week about how we're debtors to God and we said that it's another way of describing sin and if we miss uh, a payment, if you like, of if, we, if we're not perfect, we can't make it up. We can't be doubly perfect to make it up to God and therefore we can never pay that debt to God and therefore Jesus has come and he died on the cross and said it is finished, paid in full. We understand that we're debtors to God. I think, I hope. But how are we therefore then debtors to each other? How is someone a debtor to me? How am I a debtor to somebody else? Well, think of it this way Jesus summed up the law with two commandments that is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. We owe God complete love and obedience to His through obedience to his commands. And one of these commands is that we love one another. So God says that we owe love to each other. And when we do not give that love to somebody and we treat them without love, we become their debtors. Because just like when we sin against God, we cannot take back what we have done. Now, we can try and make up for it we should make restitution but we can never erase the past it's never it never disappears it never goes away and therefore we are debtors to each other and therefore we need to forgive each other our debts but the problem is is that we do not easily forgive our debtors When they come to us for forgiveness. And we realize when we look at Matthew 18 that this is a scandal. Because whatever somebody else has done to us, in comparison to the debt that we have been forgiven by God, it is tiny. It is tiny. It's not insignificant. That would make forgiveness easy. But in comparison to God's debt that he paid for us, it is tiny. So look uh, at Matthew 18 and verses 28 to 30. So we get to the point here uh, in this parable where the servant with the great debt has been forgiven by his master. So then look what happens. Just let's stop there and notice a few things. Notice the amount that was owed. It was 100 silver coins. A hundred silver coins was 100 days' wages. Compare that to the debt of the servant in the first place. 200,000 years' wages. See, a hundred days' wages is not an insignificant amount. It's a, it's, a, it's a big debt, but compared to his debt that he was forgiven, it's, it's tiny, isn't it? Notice the similarity of how the debtor was to the servant and the servant originally was to the master. So here, just like in the first place, uh, he, 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 he begged for forgiveness. He begged, to be for, he begged for patience and said, I'll, I'll pay it back. He didn't, he, like the original servant, he didn't pray that he would be forgiven, but he did pray that he would pay it back. It was the exact same resp- response to the, to the debt. But notice the difference in the response of the servant. He was angry. He, he was so angry, it says that he choked him. And he threw him in the prison. He was unmerciful. He had no mercy. Now, the irony is that the hundred silver coins could probably have been paid back eventually. His 200,000 years wages would never be paid back. But he threw him into prison and had no mercy whatsoever. Now, as we read the parable, in light of the debt that that unmerciful servant had originally, our response at this point is like the other servants. It's one of outrage. We think, that's outrageous. How can he do that? And if we're reading this as a story, we're all the same. We think that is just outrageous, which is the response of the other servants. But then... Jesus gives uh, he, I, I, I feel like he wins us with a punch in the stomach with verses 31 to 35. It says, When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled that, all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then this is the punch for all of us. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. See, we agree with everything, and then we get to verse 35. We're outraged until we get to verse 35, and then we read it and we think, oh, oh, he's talking to me. And this is so serious that we also must forgive our debtors that Jesus repeats only one part of the Lord's Prayer in that section about prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Look at it in verses 14 and 15 of Matthew chapter 6. The only part of the Lord's Prayer which is expanded on because it's so serious is this. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Brothers and sisters, this is serious, serious stuff. Without that verse thirty five in Matthew eighteen, we would be in total uh, agreement and outrage with this parable. But we know that we are in that verse. And we realize that we are the servant, not with the small debt, but with the big debt to our Heavenly Father. And so we must ask ourselves, what does this mean? What does this mean? Is Jesus really saying that if I am not forgiving others, then I am not forgiven? Because it's easy for me to stand here and play down the seriousness of this. Because the initial response is, surely it's not really as bad as what he's saying. We do the same thing with the rich man that Jesus told to sell everything to. We think, well, it doesn't really mean that. And we can say the same thing here. We can think, well, is it really as serious as what Jesus is saying? Does he really mean, let me ask it again, does he really mean that if I am not forgiving others, then God will not forgive me? And my answer is yes. That is... the. That is what Jesus says. It's clear here. It's clear in Matthew chapter 6. He says, yes, if we are not forgiving others, then at best, we need to question our salvation. And at worst, we're most likely not God's children. It is that serious. Let me give a couple of points about why this is as serious and as true as what Jesus is saying. Last week, um, we stopped before this this particular part of the petition. But if we were to have the whole thing in one, um, we wouldn't perhaps lose, and I hope we haven't, from the songs we've been singing, that we have laboured the point that we are huge debtors to God. We are huge, hugely forgiven. Hugely forgiven. We are the servant with the 200,000 year wage debt that is impossible to repay and God has forgiven us. We have sinned against God, we said, in sins of omission, sins of commission, in word, in thought, in deed, multiple times, all the time, in ways we know about and in ways we don't know about and God has forgiven all of it. This uh, verse is told in Matthew 18 in the light of the huge debt that has been forgiven. And in the light of that huge debt, our response should be naturally to forgive others their debts against us because it's what God has done for us, but more so than we can ever forgive anyone else. Whatever anyone else has done, and I'm not playing down the seriousness, but it's never as great as what each of us individually has committed against God. And Jesus tells us to be forgiving. He highlights it here in Matthew 18 and he highlights it in Matthew chapter 6 at the end of the Lord's Prayer. And we should be devoted in the light of the cross to pleasing Jesus. We should be doing, wanting to do what Jesus says for us to do. And he says to us, you need to be forgiving others their debts. Now, the forgiveness of others does not earn our salvation from God. So when we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, it's not saying that if I forgive others, therefore I've earned God's forgiveness. That's not what it means. What it's saying is that we have been forgiven such a huge debt that we should be just naturally realizing that we need to forgive others. It's a response to the forgiveness that we have from God not to earn the forgiveness of God. And if we are never forgiving and we're choking people and punishing them for what they have done to us, then it shows that we have not understood the forgiveness of God for us. And it shows if we are never forgiving and at all and we are totally unmerciful, how can we claim to be Christians? That's what Jesus is saying here. So at best... We need to question, am I really a child of God? But we have to understand that our forgiveness of others is different from God's, not just in its size, but in the fact that God is perfect and we are not. Now, we're not excusing unforgiveness here, but I'm recognizing that it's difficult for us as fallen human beings. There are folk here tonight battling over forgiving someone and wondering even, can I even do this? Are you telling me, Steve, that I am not Christian because I'm struggling with this? No. I am saying that as we struggle with this, we're battling against sin and we're finding it hard. But remember, last week we said that there are two types of forgiveness that are in mind in the Lord's Prayer. First of all, there is the judicial forgiveness of God. God forgives us our sin debt completely, past, present and future. It's done, it is finished at the cross. But the second type of forgiveness we looked at was the forgiveness of a father to his children in the household, The restoration of fellowship. So if um, I sin against God, I have not lost my salvation, but until I confess my sin, the fellowship with God is not restored. It's not what it should be in the home. And we use the example of a family. If there is no forgiveness in the home, no apologizing for sin, the home is, is horrible to live in. And so as Christians, we need to confess our sins to God and restore the fellowship. And we talked about King David in Psalm 51. He says to God, as a believer, as a child of God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It's restoration of fellowship with God. And so as I struggle with unforgiveness and as I don't forgive somebody, then my fellowship with God is impacted and I am not forgiven as a father to son, I need to go and forgive my brother or sister or whoever else. You see, the fellowship with God is not what it should be when we are not forgiving other people. So I don't lose my salvation, but I don't have fellowship with God as I ought to. And I'm miserable, and we'll see later, I become bitter, and my relationships with others are impacted, So if you're never forgiving and you're totally unmerciful, don't claim to be a Christian. If you struggle with unforgiveness and you're finding it hard and it's a battle, then come to God and confess your sin. We are not forgiven by God if we are not forgiving our debtors. It's as simple as that. The scripture is clear. And nothing is more Christ-like than when we forgive somebody else. Nothing is more like Jesus than when we forgive somebody else. So first of all, we've seen that yes, we must forgive. We must forgive. But how? How? How can I forgive somebody else? What must I do? What does this look like? Because I realise that this is a struggle for many, and some of you may be wondering, well, okay, I, I realise that my debt is, is huge, and I realise that I'm not to be an unmerciful servant of God, but what does it look like? Well, we've seen the extent, but let's look at what this does look like. On the screen there are some words from Luke chapter 17. Let me read them to you. In this passage, Jesus is talking about forgiveness of others. In Luke 17, verses 3 to 5, it says, If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and even uh, seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. I think as we look at that, (laughs) we pray with the apostles, don't we? Increase our faith. But what does it tell us? that we ought to do? Well, first of all, we see that God shows us our sin. When God forgives us, he shows us our sin. What, I'm doing, what I want to do here is show you how God forgives us and therefore how we're to imitate that in forgiving others. And the first thing God does is he shows us our sin. And here he tells others, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. So when we are sinned against, it is right that we approach somebody and say, you know what, this really hurt me. What you have done is wrong. Now sometimes there may be a miscommunication, and maybe we don't need to go in and say it is wrong, but we need to be communicating with one another and talking to one another. Sometimes I've done things wrong to people that I don't even know that I've done. And unless someone had come to me and told me, I would not have known to seek forgiveness. And sometimes we can be so angry with somebody and so bitter as if we let it go on and they didn't even know that they'd done anything wrong. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. It is right that we go and we talk and we have dialogue. Sometimes things are just obviously wrong and we need to go and rebuke. Sometimes, in fact I would say most of the time, we need to be sensitive and go and talk about what is wrong. This is especially true in our homes. In our homes, it is especially true. Because in, in, in home life, in family life, there is friction often, isn't there? That can happen with, uh, between spouses, between children. There, there's friction. And we need to go and not always just go and say, you're wrong, you, you, you're doing me wrong, but we need to go in and talk. Say, look, I'm struggling with this. Uh, what you're doing is, is hurting me. Um, uh, we need to talk about this and pray together. And I would encourage you in this way as well. Um, most cases of forgiveness can be really, uh, oftentimes, sorry, they can be really complex, but most times, just they can be reconciled with just a conversation. And in the Christian home, let us be the ones to take the initiative and go and say, We're struggling here. Let's let's sort this out. Take the initiative. Go and sort it out. It's really important that we, we do that. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. Because God does that to us. When we sin against God, he doesn't hide away and pretend he doesn't notice. He tells us when we have done wrong and shows us so that we can confess our sin to him. Secondly, if they repent... Forgive them. Now this is the point where some Christians may disagree. But here, Jesus says, if they repent, forgive them. I cannot forgive somebody who has not sought forgiveness and has not sought repentance. God does not do that. If I do not confess my sin to God, he will not forgive me of my sin. And it's the same with us. And Jesus, in this, th- these verses, highlights repentance twice. If there is no repentance, there is no forgiveness. And that means, too, that if someone comes to you and just says, oh, I'm sorry, and makes no uh, repentance whatsoever, they're not sorry. They're trying to get away with it, perhaps, but they're not sorry. People have got to apologize, and it's repentance. That is a changing of mind and action and attitude towards God and towards reconciliation, If they repent, forgive them. So if someone does not repent of sin, if someone does not apologize for what they have done and confess it to you, we cannot forgive. But we must always be ready to forgive. And that's the key. God is always ready to forgive us. He says, even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Be ready to forgive. However many times, we cannot forgive the unrepentant, but we must always be ready to forgive them. God does everything possible to make it easy for us to be forgiven by him. He makes it possible for forgiveness. He makes the way of salvation open to us. And we must do whatever we can to be open and ready to forgive those who have sinned against us. If they don't seek forgiveness, we can't forgive them, but we must always be ready. We must always be ready. No wonder in this passage the disciples, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And that's the prayer that we need to pray with this, isn't it? Increase our faith. But finally, there's one other place I just want to read to you. Because we must be ready to forgive, but at the same time, we must not be bitter and angry and and live in what's happened. And never move on and live lives of just being bitter all the time. Uh, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4 uh, and verse uh, 30, let me just read you some words that he says to the church there. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So how does God treat us? He is kind. He is compassionate, despite having been sinned against uh, against grossly by us. And we're to forgive one another in this way, just as God, in Christ, forgave you. In the same way. So unforgiveness, it says, Paul says, grieves the Holy Spirit and it brings out all of what we are to get rid of. So if we are uh, unforgiving and we're living in what's happened, we become bitter, full of rage and anger, brawling and slander and malice. We're angry, we want our own back. And, and, we're, and we are miserable. It's, it's a miserable thing to live in anger and bitterness and rage and, and malice. Even when someone is not repenting of sin and there is not much chance of them ever seeking forgiveness, we must still not have the bitterness in our heart. We must be ready to forgive just as in Christ Jesus God forgave us and is always ready to forgive us when we come to him and confess our sin. Lord, increase our faith. I don't say these things lightly Tonight, I recognize that for many, this is extremely hard teaching. And so I encourage you to keep looking to the cross. Looking to the cross where you were forgiven that huge debt. If you forget the cross and take your eyes off of what Christ has done, you will never be able to forgive anybody. But when we keep in mind what Jesus has done... We will be able to forgive. We must rebuke those that sin against us. We must tell them what's wrong. We must forgive those when they repent. We must be ready to forgive, but we must not hold it, hold on to it, and never let go and live in bitterness for the whole of our lives. I'm going to close with a story. Uh, Some of you will be familiar with this story. Um, this is the story of, uh, told uh, by Corrie Ten Boom. Now, she was a lady who was taken by the Nazis into a concentration camp. And in the concentration camp, her sister, Betsy, who comes up in the story, uh, was killed. And this story tells an amazing story of forgiveness that I hope uh, speaks practically into all of our hearts as we struggle uh, with this. So, this is Corrie Ten Boom speaking. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a bolding, heavy set man in a grey overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947. And I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land. And I gave them my favourite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that they were forgi- their forgi- that's where their forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence. In silence collected their wraps. in silence left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others, one moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next the blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the centre of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation in Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp, where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook, rather than take that hand he would not remember me of course how could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women but I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt it was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze you mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk he was saying I was a guard there no he did not remember me But since that time he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fräulein, again the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he raise her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours, as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart but forgiveness is not an emotion I knew that too forgiveness is an act of the will and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart Jesus help me I prayed silently I can lift my hand I can do that much you supply the feeling and so woodenly mechanically I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me and as I did an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And having thus learned to forgive in this hardest of situations, I never again had difficulty in forgiving. I wish I could say that. I wish I could say that merciful and charitable thoughts naturally flowed from me from then on, but they didn't. If there's one thing I've learned at 80 years of age, it's that I can't store up good feelings and behaviour but only draw them fresh from God each day. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, many of us struggle to forgive our debtors. But we thank you that you have forgiven us. Such a huge debt. And with the apostles, we pray, Lord, increase our faith. Help us, Heavenly Father, for we cannot do this on our own, in our own strength. We need you, Heavenly Father. I pray that we would be a church that forgives one another. And we thank you that we can always look to the cross to see what you have first done for us and to receive the strength to do what we ought to do for others. In Jesus' name, amen. Perhaps there may be some that are struggling with this. Uh, Let me... Say, if you want to talk about any of these things afterwards, then do come, uh, speak to us. Um, Me and Tim are around, and others too. Speak to one another about these things. This is hard, but it's something that we need to do, and it's something that we need to get right. So let's uh, not be afraid to talk to one another, encourage one another, help one another, pray for one another after we've finished uh, the service. But let's close with a couple of songs in response to this. Uh, First of all, we're going to sing... Uh, Grace unmeasured, as we think of the grace that God has.